Uh, today is always one of our favorite Sundays because it's I Love My Church Sunday, so we get to hear stories from members, just stories from folks like you and me like in, in the church congregation, right? Um, and it's a special thing, and it's a brave thing, okay? Because y'all can imagine if you had to stand up here with a microphone and share your story, uh, how challenging that would be. Um, so I, I selected this scripture. I think it's beautiful for that. Uh, Psalm 71 says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long I will proclaim your saving power, though I am not skilled with words. I will praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you alone are just. Um, and so this is what these folks in our congregation are coming to do today. They are coming to share with you their story. And that's one of the vows that we make when we join churches is that we will share our story. And so they're going to share their story with you. Now I'm looking around for Mark and Joan Abdo. I feel like maybe they're going to, they, they were supposed to be here, but maybe they're going to be at 11. Maybe they got the wrong time. So Dove family, I know that y'all were supposed to be second, but you are now first. You have been promoted. Come on up. That's biblical, right? Good morning, folks. Welcome to the church. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. My story's going to be short, but serious. I came to this church because my son was a member here, and he proposed the idea to me to go to church with the kids. I thought that was a good idea, so I took it up. Well, a few weeks went by and I became a member. But I have another story to tell as well. I really love the reception I received after joining. We've got so many things going on. I've been to Emus, did the walk in 17, and I enjoy that group, and I especially enjoy the larger group of the whole area when they get together. But let me tell you a little bit about my experience with religion. And uh, I was approximately 12, 13 years of age when I joined the church. I realized I need, needed to do that. My cousins had done it before me, so it wasn't that difficult. And I enjoyed it. But then I didn't have very much of a participation in the church activities until I came back from the war. When I was in Vietnam, flying in airplanes, taking pictures of the bad guys, I never killed anybody for any reason. And I'm glad of that. But I've had some terrifying moments that I really can't share with you because there's no way to get that feeling. You get a feeling 
you're going to die in the next few seconds. And you don't know what's going to happen. But that made me believe in God for sure. And I prayed to God several times on some missions. And I'm alive and well today because God took care of me. And I thank Him for that. I've had hours and hours of boredom, but a few seconds of stark terror. And when you think you're going to die any second, and there's nothing you can do about it, there's a spot in your heart that doesn't really approve of what's going on, but there's nothing you can do about it. But I'm here today because of God. I thank God for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Natalie, and one thing I love about my church is that we get to give so much, like to the widows in Rwanda, the rabbits. They're making hats and <clears throat> scarves and lots of stuff. And we get to give to Helping Hands and do Angel Tree every year. And it feels really good to help. I'm Penny, and I guess Shelby is um, loving her church by standing with the family. Um, so I have um, been in church all my life, and I find that... Can y'all hear me? All right. And I find that um, here at Bee Creek, I get refilled and refreshed to be doing what I do. So my work is with, um, with people who have been through trauma And so it's nice to come here. And while um, it's, I give here, do Sunday school, and helping with different things in the church, I feel this is a place that I'm refreshed and replenished. So thank you. Well, I, I feel bookend right here. Um, really standing between in my in the midst of my family and uh I'm going to tell you why I love my church so much and it has to do with how I got here and since we're missing a person I might go a little bit <laughs> Okay good I'm going to get through it um so I I did proudly grow up in a military family and so church wasn't a priority uh, Mom was a Church of Christ secretary when they met at Dias, and Dad was flying all over the world. So church uh, just wasn't part of my family life growing up. Uh, Dad retired, uh, and I was born here in Austin. So I went, uh, a high school friend that I'd known from kindergarten invited me to go skiing with his church my freshman year in high school. And the sly youth director said, well, yeah, he can go on this cheap trip, but you have to start coming to MYF, Methodist Youth Foundation, Fellowship, Fellowship. 
UMIF. Um, so I went, went on the ski trip, kept going, uh, and was active. I got baptized that spring. My parents came to church from a baptism, and it, that was really important to me, but they weren't really part of my faith life growing up. And I kept going to uh, college ministry at First Methodist Church, and I was on a roof in East Austin doing a service project with our college group, and a buddy of mine said, "Would you? Uh, this is good training for ASP, which was Appalachia Service Project, which our church did every summer, and I had done for six years at that point. And he said, no, my church back in McKinney goes, and they're going on spring break. And I said, great, can I go? I'm a college guy, and I'd rather, you know, that's what I wanted to do and for spring break was go work on homes in Appalachia. So I went and led a team with their pastor because um, he was good at leading groups, and I knew construction. And that summer they asked, uh, they called because you didn't have email. <laughs> I didn't back then. And uh, said, we want, to, we want to have a youth director position at our church, and we'd like you to apply for it. And I was, I was just, I was blown away at that invite. It wasn't my call. It wasn't the direction I was going at all. But I took it, and I took advantage of it, and I did it. And this is McKinney, Texas. It was a farm town when I was there back in the 1900s. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got to take some classes at Perkins uh, at SMU. Uh, with other folks going to seminary. One of, the, one of those guys that I went on that ski trip with and went through UMYF with uh, was going to Perkins too to, to be a, a United Methodist pastor, ordination track, and he and I were both youth directors at the same time. He was in Garland, I was in McKinney. Um, I followed that and went and moved to a church in, uh, outside of Nashville. Ended up meeting Penny there. Um, kind of followed that church saying it was me, it was mine, uh, something I sought out to do, and I didn't really, I, my, I had my family, clearly, that I dearly loved, but I also had, always had a church family. And uh, Penny and I moved back here in 2001, and about two months after we married, I almost widowed her uh, on October 1st, and she quickly found that the churches that I had been a part of they all came to the hospital. I didn't know it at the time. I was, ICU. I was in ICU, and people were coming and taking her to lunch and visiting her. And this, this church I'd been separated from for a while, but come back to just embraced our family, which was just Penny and I at that time. And uh, so we, we went to St. John's United Methodist because we were living in North Austin. Uh, Bobby K. Jones was the pastor there, and she was my college pastor, and I knew her from First Methodist. So... Uh, then we got pregnant, not, well, she did, and uh, we, dad had owned the property out here on RO. We live a mile from the church, and uh, we, we kept going to St. John's there in North Austin, but living out here, and I'm on trustees, pennies, singing in women's choir, teaching stuff. I mean, we've always been part of the church, um, and Bobby Kay became the district superintendent and said, I want to encourage you to go to Bee Creek. And I think, I know I had visited one time before Laura was here. Did you? Separately. Like, we didn't want to cheat on our church. It's like she was out of town and I would come visit here. And then Bobby K, when Bobby K became the DS, she said, I'm sending a, a pastor out there and the church is growing and thriving and needs your family. And uh, so bef before you even preached here, Laura, we hosted the first lunch with Laura 
on our deck at our house. And we started coming to church right when Laura came. And uh, trustees immediately, because I do construction, right? Don't tell people what you do for a living. They'll put you on committees. Uh, Penny's been teaching Sunday school forever, and uh, the girls both help with that. Um, when, when Laura emailed and asked if we would do this, I said two words that I remember. And I said, I'm, we're living in a time of challenge, my family, in a time of challenges and in a time of abundance at the same time. Uh, and the, the challenges have been kids going to junior high, uh, job changes. The reason my dad is here was four years ago, we, we lost my mom. She passed away. Took a took about a year in and out of the hospital with her, and we had the funeral on a Saturday. And then right here, with Laura and Greg, and the, this church embraced my family, took blankets to my mom uh, for a year, visited her for a year, uh, prayed for my mom continually. And so Saturday we had the funeral. Sunday I said, Dad, just come to church. I, I need to be with you. You need to be with us. Let's be here. And... Uh, that was a challenge, but that, I'm going to tell you, was a miracle that I was never bold enough to pray for. Um, having my dad and I have a faith life together, it, just, it wasn't part of the conversation. And uh, now he, he fills more seats in church than I do. Uh, he's in a 9.30 study, and then he comes to 11. He's not here for me anymore. And, I mean, I'm, I appreciate that he came to be with us, but we still talk about the sermons on Sunday and watch football together and get to spend at least every Sunday together. I can count on it. And uh, some more abundance. That same uh, pastor that I told you about that I went to s some seminary stuff with, He's now the pastor over at Lake Travis United Methodist, and I got to visit him. I made it from, I came to my 930. I'm not going to miss Bee Creek, and I'm not leaving. But I went over there to see him preach at 11 the other day. And uh, that's abundance to me, that I'm reunited with him. And I love this church. I went through, uh, I did more research when I, we got invited to do this than I have ever thought I would. Uh, looking at our mission statement and all that, and children do matter. Youth do lead here. And m my family is just a testimony to that. And the, the service work that we've all been in involved with, uh, that we've, like, we've gotten to do, that we donate to. One last thing, I'll tie it up. Um, I got laid off about a month ago in construction, which it's great right now, but I kind of grew myself out of a, out of a position. And uh, one Sunday I'm ushering, and Laura said, uh, after church, like, what's wrong? I guess I wasn't as happy as, as always, and uh, I told her, but I said, my main concern is our giving that we had committed to. I mean, that's, that's a decision Penny and I make together and sign a card and faithful. We get to do the, uh, the online giving, so it's an auto-debit. And that keeps us from getting mad at each other. Did you bring the checkbook? You know, who forgot? And then you got to write that big check three weeks later. So we do, and then every Sunday I get the Clover give 
notification on my phone. It's coming earlier now. Like when I wake up, it's there. Sunday morning. And I know that we gave. And Laura's advice to me was, hey, with your job stuff, what, uh, suspend that. Call the office and suspend it being automatic. And you'll just write the check as you see fit. I took that advice and threw it out the window. And I just said, I'm going to let it ride. I appreciate your advice on a lot of things. But I said, I'm just going to let it ride. Because I felt like we had made the commitment to give to the church. And I wanted the church to use that money. And, and y'all have seen what giving does here. It's multiplied. And uh, with the floods, with the fires, everything we've been a part of out here, I didn't want to let that go. And then I've, I've been employed for the last two weeks with the best job I'll ever have. And uh, so it didn't take long, and uh, it took a lot of prayers. And that's the challenge and the abundance. The church, I love this church. I've always loved being a part of a church, but this one has always been here for us through some really big challenges, uh, but also in a lot of abundance. Thanks. So um, I'm going to make sure Mark and Joan aren't hiding out there, okay? But there's a really cool thing that happened. Uh, Cheryl came up to me today as we were in the hallway, and she said she heard Stan sharing his story last week, and she thought for the first time that she could share her story. And I, I said, oh, we got this thing coming up in the spring, but Cheryl, would you want to talk today? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and I said, that's okay. And I said, but just know that you could. And so I, when I saw when I said Mark and Joan hadn't shown up, Cheryl popped up to the front. So um, she hasn't planned this, but I think God planned this, you guys. And so please welcome Cheryl to share her testimony. Um, you want me to stand with you? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm not. Um, it's like, a like here? Like a, Okay, you're gonna Here? I think the, um, the um, message from the Bible said something about not, not speaking having... well or something. <laughs> so here's a good example. And I understand Shelby and how difficult that can be to stand up here and say something. I'm terrified. People who know me know I love to talk, but um, I'm terrified now. Um, and it's not planned. So um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cheryl Martin, and my husband is Bruce, and we have a daughter named Rachel. Uh, we came from Westlake United Methodist Church here about 11 years ago and joined the church. Um, Rachel is our only daughter. We were married 21 years before she finally came into our life through adoption. We had spent 10 years in a lot of different ways with a lot of different losses over children. So my story isn't today so much about what I've done for this church because it's been pretty minimal what I've done for this church, but what this church has done for me. Um, so we were, we've had many losses around children and, and all in our lives, and we finally got the miracle of the birth of a beautiful baby daughter. She came to us when she was five days old. Um, she was a bit of a troubled child, um, always felt like she just didn't quite fit in with, um, 
always the odd person out. And anyway, we didn't have huge struggles with her, but she always did have some issues. So fast forward, she's 27 now, but about six or seven years ago, her life began to change, and we watched it go downhill and finally learned about six years ago that she was addicted to heroin. And so for the past six years, um, seven years, we've been living a life of hell, most of the time not knowing if she was dead or alive, where she was, who she was with. Um, we really didn't have a relationship with her because we couldn't. What we had was a relationship with an addict, which was manipulative, deceitful, um, untrustworthy. So there was many nights I didn't know whether Rachel was out there dead or alive. And um, throughout all these years, the people here that I have met through my Bible study and um, I don't know, I can't even say, um, have been there walking beside us and have continued to pray for Rachel for years, for years. I have sat in this church and cried for Sunday after Sunday. Um, every time we had communion, and we'd go to there and I would light a candle and it would always be, this is for Rachel. So, um, about now, 10 or 11 months ago, um, I learned she was pregnant. And I thought it was the worst possible thing that could happen. I thought it was a terrible trick to be played on any child or even her. And I wheeled that baby away. My husband and I couldn't get pregnant with healthy bodies. And how did it happen? that two addicts end up with a baby. I just thought there was no way. This was, something was amiss. And um, so I just pretty much pretended this wasn't the case and I didn't think she could carry a baby. And so um, now about seven months ago, she finally got arrested. It wasn't the first time, but it's the first time she got stuck in jail and couldn't get out. We never did ever help her get out. Um, somehow she would, but this time there was no getting out and we weren't helping her until we could get her into a facility that was a rehab. And we found her one that was for mothers and their children. And so she stayed in jail for three months and while she was in jail, people from here wrote to her and people cared about her, and people continued to pray, and she knows that there are people from this church that do not judge her. She looks like no one in this church. <laughs> she's covered in tattoos. She has a piercing in her nose, she has, and she's been an addict, and she's very well loved. Um, she had a beautiful baby girl two months ago. It's a miracle. The baby that I willed away is probably the thing that has saved her, along with some good treatment at Austin Recovery um, and jail time. And um, she is now living with us with the baby, and I've told people that there's a reason 68-year-old women <laughs> do not have babies. Um, <laughs> One of my, <laughs> that's what somebody said. One of my friends said, there was a million reasons, but anyway, um, 
She's still on her road, road to recovery. It'll be a lifetime. Um, it, and the way that we're living with it is one day at a time. One day at a time, that's all. Today, today she's okay. Today the baby is okay. She's in an outpatient treatment now where she goes several days a week. Um, anyway, this has been the darkest. I've suffered a lot of losses in my life with family members uh, in some pretty serious ways. But this was the darkest, deepest time that I've that I've lived with a child that I could not save, I could not help, I could not lift up. But what happened was the people in this church lifted us up when we couldn't lift ourselves up constantly to prayer, to God, and held us in their hearts, and our hearts always have known. And so I love this church. I love the people in this church. I love that you love my daughter no matter what. Um, and now I feel like I've talked too long. I don't... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you guys, our last testimony is Amy, and you had to wait so long, but we want to hear your story. Share it. Come up and share it. We have, we have time. I'll try to do the short, abridged version. So thank you for allowing me to share my story today. I actually grew up in a really strict Catholic household, and if you questioned anything in the church, you were questioning God. So as children are prone to make mistakes and ask questions, I was that kid. And every time, my family, my grandparents, my mom would say, what would God say about that? What would God think about that? And it wasn't ever positioned like it was a question. It was always positioned like a judgment. And frankly, I got scared of God because I didn't know what God was going to say about that. Obviously, I was disappointing him. In Catholic school, we had to go to confession every week because, you know, kindergartners have a lot to profess every week. And you'd go into this really scary black box that had a door and you weren't with your parents. And you had to tell the priest everything that you did wrong that day. And there was a screen dividing you from the box the priest was in, but you didn't know who this priest was. You, you weren't told who you were talking to. And I just remember being so scared and thinking, I know God loves me because everybody tells me God loves me, but I am afraid of this person. And you know, it just kind of continued as I became a teenager, and I was active in our church with the youth group and stuff like that, but you know, at Catholic church, you have to wear your best church clothes, and you're not allowed to talk, and basically you don't have any fun. In fact, we weren't allowed to eat an hour before church because your body was supposed to be empty and ready to receive the Eucharist. The problem is, as a teenager, you don't plan very well. And so I'd often be hungry and I'd mention it to my mom and you know, she'd be like, Amy, what would God say about that? And I'd say, you know what? I'm kind of thinking God would rather me be full and able to pay attention in church rather than hungry and listening to my stomach growl. And of course that was met with more anger. So, um, so I went into college and I was not so scared of God anymore, but I was more frustrated. And every life choice I made, it seemed like my family always said, what would God say about that? And so it became hard. And I, I went through this dark period for about 15 years where I didn't really care to know God. So fast forward to about five years ago, and I'm putting Christmas decorations out in the front yard. And 
One of our neighbors comes walking by, and uh, you guys probably know her, Sangrid of Sangrid and Rusty. And she says, hey, I think you're an Aggie. And I said, oh, heck yeah, you are. I mean, I am. And she said, I am too. And, you know, we started talking our Aggie stuff. And out of the blue, she said, what are you and your family doing for Christmas service? And I said, oh, you know, we don't have any plans. She goes, you know what, you ought to come to my church. I think you'd really like the church. And I thought, well, that was kind of strange of her to, out of the blue, walk up and, you know, first time I meet her. So nevertheless, we came to the church and we sat in the, it was the overflow room as far as I was concerned that day. And of course, we're dressed in our best church clothes. And um, anyway, so we sit down and people around me are wearing blue jeans and they're drinking coffee and hot chocolate and they're talking to one another. And people came in late and they got warm smiles and hugs. In my childhood church, you got the death stare, and you were put in the corner, and that was that. You know, there was no loving. It was like, mm, you better come back at 11. So it just really was a different experience, but this, I don't say brainwashing, but this upbringing of what would God say suddenly was coming through me, and I'm seeing these blue jeans and, you know, drinking coffee and having snacks. I'm like, what would God say about this? You know, and, and then I'm horrified because I'm being judgy and then I feel guilty for that, which Catholicism is judgment and guilt mostly. And so we left right after church and I thought, this is some kind of weird farm lake church and I'm not coming back there. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about, but you know, the, the, I was right and that's awesome um, as I wear my blue jeans and drink my coffee. So anyways, I, I felt a calling back to this church and I started coming back and coming back, but I was still very skeptical. But I started asking a lot of questions, and I started asking DG and Pastor Laura, you know, well, what would God say about this, or what would God say about that? I finally found a place that felt safe to ask, what would God say? And it went from a judgment to uh, this curiosity and this love. So I started reading the Bible, I joined the Bible study group, and um, you guys remember, it was a few years ago, we had Palm Sunday out at Angels. And of course, the skeptic in me is like, how are we going to pull off church at a bar, you know, restaurant, outdoor thing? And so the choir is singing Hosanna and everybody's, you know, doing their thing. And all of a sudden my daughter picks up her palm and she starts singing, oh, Santa, oh, Santa. And I'm like, oh, sacrilegious, we, you know, lightning's going to strike us. And I, I go to stop her. She's two. I go to stop her, but everybody around us were like, oh, that's so cute. And they start clapping and encouraging her to go on. So instead of being horrified and judgy, I thank God and I picked up my phone. So I found my home here, and I read the Bible, and I feel very close to God. And I'm very grateful for you guys having me here. And when I lost my job this past summer, I didn't rush to update my resume. I didn't call every person I knew in marketing, because marketing is not the best career, by the way. Um, and I didn't hop on LinkedIn and start you know, trying to find jobs. I actually grabbed my Bible and came up here and sat on the back steps and prayed. And I prayed all morning, and I read the Bible. And I actually got a sticker in my shorts sitting in the grass. And I was like, you know what, God, not a good time for me to need new shorts. <laughs> you know, so I just wanted to say 
Thank you so much for accepting me and all my imperfections. Thank you for letting me be part of your community and also for letting me be, you know, that little bit judgy and you love me anyways. And when Jet and I come in late and you give us hugs and warm smiles, we're very grateful for that. So thank you very much. Oh, I'm just throwing the sound for a loop because I have a mic and I'm using this mic. You never know what I'm going to do. Um, we all have a story, don't we? We all have a story. Because when God works in our lives, things change and things shift and friends come alongside and miracles happen. Um, so one of the reasons we sang that song, God of the City, today is because I keep hearing that song and thinking, greater things. I mean, how great is this? And greater things are still coming.